0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: Have you seen how stylish RJ Barrett looks lately, whether at an event or in the tunnel? Well, he's wearing Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I'm talking with columnist and on-air talent at NFL media, Judy Batista. Judy's been covering the NFL for 20 years, and we talk everything from her now-famous exchange with then-New York Jets head coach Herm Edwards, reporting tips, a day in the life of Judy Batista, and how she's seen the industry change, and of course, so much more. Today's podcast is brought to you by Indochino. Harry's Razors, and Ship Station. So let's get to it. Judy, thank you so much for joining me today on Get My Job.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk about your 20 seasons covering the NFL. We have much to cover ourselves today. But I think I'm going to start back before this, uh, when you started in Miami, and I know you started in news. So I was wondering a little bit, What was the transition like to sports, and how did that come about?
1: Um, well, I always thought I was going to be a news reporter. Like the, I'm a news junk, I'm still a news junkie, um, and so that is what I wanted to do. And I started um, at the Miami Herald in the Broward County Bureau, which is like the Fort Lauderdale area, and that was a, at the time, a pretty big bureau. And they did the Miami Herald at that time had. It was sort of like a micro local coverage of the neighbors section. And that's the section I started in, which was doing like all kinds of, you know, local metro reporting, like, you know, you'd go to the city council meetings and you would do police checks and all that kind of stuff. But it just so happened that like the city desk was right next to the sports desk in the Fort Lauderdale Bureau. And I was always a sports fan. And of course, as the like junior reporter, you know, the cub reporter, you worked all of the weird shifts the weekend shifts you know the strange times that nobody else would do so i would sit there and be watching sports on the tv with the sports department um you know while working my strange shift and uh it just sort of came up like hey you ever want to go cover you know a high school football game or you ever want to do sports and i you know i was a huge sports fan um and so it just happened that way. Like I tried, they said, why don't you just try it and see if you want to do it. And um, so I did, and I liked it, obviously. And uh, I just sort of slowly transitioned to that, you know, and then they had a, you know, a job open as a, um, like, local sports reporter. And I decided that's the direction I was going to go in. But I really enjoyed covering sports in part because, um, and I think this is what made the transition easy, was... I like sports writing because you get to do all different kinds of reporting and writing, whereas I think in news, you know, you're sort of slotted, right? Like if you are a sort of breaking news person, you're doing breaking news, you know, you're doing hard news. Or if you're an analysis person, you're doing only analysis. If you're a columnist, you're only a columnist. So this sports lets you do all of those kinds of writings, right? You can be a feature writer one day, and then the next day you're writing a, you know, a deadline game story, and then the next day you're writing breaking news. And I liked being able to do all of that. I liked the variety. Um, and then obviously I, I love sports, you know? I mean, sports delivers all of these great stories all the time, and so I, um, it was a pretty easy transition. And as some one of my editors at the Miami Herald, one of my very first editors explained, like uh, covering a sports team in a sports in a season is a lot like covering a political campaign. Like there are definitely similarities to it, to the pace of it. And, um, and I, and I think that's another part of it that really appealed to me.
0: Do you have a favorite, whether it be column feature
1: game deadline story? Do you have a favorite of those? Not really, you know. When you're crunched and you're writing on deadline and it's two o'clock in the morning, you obviously are not thinking that that is your favorite. Right? right. You're thinking, <laughs> oh, I'd much rather be writing a feature story. Um, but like, I, I really, I, I like the, like, I love going to games. I still really love going to games, which unfortunately I think is sort of a diminishing part of sports writing. I, th- I you know, it's obviously costs money to send people on the road, and so I think you see fewer and fewer people actually going to games which is too bad because I, I really still enjoy going to games. Um, so I, I like all of it, though. Like, I do like getting to write, like, longer features and getting to actually sit down and talk to people about issues. I like writing analysis of, like, sort of trends in the game. I really enjoy that kind of stuff. So I, I really like all of it.
0: Well, that's, well, that's good. (laughs) That's good since you get to do it. Yeah. So when you made the transition to Newsday, how long were you at the Miami Herald before you went there? And then, of course, went to the Times to cover New York sports, which I, of course, want to talk about, because that is a, just a beast in itself.
1: Um, I was at the Miami Herald for uh, six years. um, And I, you know, my beat, the last job I had there was I covered the Miami Hurricanes. Football team, which was a blast. Uh, And then, and that will prepare you for anything. Um, And then I went to Newsday and I was at Newsday for two years and I covered um, St. John's basketball there, which was very cool. I really enjoyed doing college hoops. And then I went to The Times and uh, when I first started The Times, I was doing college hoops there. And then They uh, they needed somebody to fill in on the New York Mets for half a season because they were transitioning several people. People were retiring. There was all kinds of personnel movement. And so they needed somebody to do the second half of the season. And so I did it. And that was bonkers. They went to the NL championship series that year. Just, I feel like they played a series of like 14 inning rain delayed games <laughs> on my watch. That was my baseball regular <laughs> experience. And and That's then funny. I started covering the Jets. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, that was always part of the plan was, will you please fill in on the Mets for half a season and then you're going to take over the Jets. And it just so happened that my very first day on the Jets beat, I was shadowing the person who was going to retire um, and whose, you know, role I was going to fill. My very first day on the beat when I just showed up to sort of see what the lay of the land was, was the day that Bill Belichick resigned as HC of the NYJ. So that was quite a, that was quite a start. (laughs) I mean, I was was just sort of sitting there like, what just happened? Like, wait a minute. Um, So that, that's sort of how I got there. And then that since then I've covered the NFL.
0: Wow, that what a day to have been there.
1: It wow, was a, kind of bonkers. I mean, honestly, it was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that can't have been what they were planning, right? <laughs> so, Probably not. It was, it was a little crazy. Yeah, it was a little crazy. <laughs> oh, but, but what
0: an interesting part of history, really, football history to be at. And then you were a part of another famous Jets moment with head coach uh, the famous <laughs> Edwards exchange and I would just love for you to tell our listeners about that I mean it's it's really been such a big part of his career and with everything else that's what he's known for so I would love to just kind of hear from your perspective how that all went down and then are you surprised how it's really defined him
1: um, so uh, the team was on a losing streak at that point, And I can't remember how many games they'd lost at that point. And then they had blown a big lead, I think um, the previous day, that was the Monday, you know, the day after press mm-hmm. conference. And um, so it was bad, you know, it was just bad. This season was not going well. And I, the question, you know, and obviously we're asking him about like, how do you pull yourself out of this, you know, nose that the team is in. And like, the, the question was like, do you have to talk to your team about not giving up on the season? And you know, he just took it from there. Basically, <laughs> I, you know, I in hindsight, I don't think there's any question. Herm was looking for an opening to deliver a message to the team, right? I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. so much talking to me at that point or the other reporters. He was he was delivering a message to the team. And you know, you play to win the game and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I do remember in the moment thinking like this is going to be the easiest story ever to write. (laughs) Fantastic material. Like you could not write fast enough to keep up. And then we, I mean, we have laughed about it a lot over the years because, you know, they ended up going to the playoffs that year and um, you know, and that was sort of the, that game that the post was sort of the turning point of the season. Like they rallied after that and, you know, I would joke with him, like, if you, you know, at the start of the playoffs, like, if you guys win the Super Bowl, like, am I getting a share? Like, what is my take here? Because obviously, I played a role here. Um, But he, he told me much later that, like, he went home that day, and his um, lovely wife, Leah, said to him, like, were you yelling at Judy? (laughs) And and he said, uh, you know, Judy knew what I was doing. He's like, don't worry about it. Judy knows what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, clearly, he was just looking. It wasn't, me, it was anybody who would ask any question that gave him the opening to deliver that message was going to get that. Um, but we've laughed about it. And, you know, it became part of a beer commercial at one point. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. Um, but that's Herm. I mean, Herm is uh, a pleasure to cover because he will fill your notebook and he is really candid. Um, you know, he, he is a reporter's dream in that respect. I think you should probably have gotten a cut of
0: that beer commercial.
1: Right. <laughs> I did say that when when the beer commercial came out, I definitely said to him like, "Why am I not in the beer commercial? Like, what? Why am I getting cut out of this?" That no, was. I mean, people asked about. I it. also it think just like coaches should.
0: Coaches should bring you in when it's a turning like they need a turning point this season.
1: Yeah. Right. When having, like, and I'll just time. ask the question. I, I Like <laughs> I said, all I remember thinking was like, wow, this is going to be a really easy story to write. <laughs> we're not going to have to embellish much here. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic.
0: So before we talk a little bit uh, about your move to NFL media, which is, of course, where you are now, I want to go back a little bit because um, on this podcast, we're talking a lot of, to women about their journeys and obstacles they, they faced and advice to give other young women who wanna break into the sports industry. So one of my favorite questions to ask, even though it's not maybe the most fun question, is what is a criticism that you received early on that while tough to take really shaped your future in a positive way?
1: Well, I don't, this wasn't really, there's two things. It wasn't really criticism, but it was sort of, it it was more like advice. Um, One was, I had written a story. This was early on at the Miami Herald. I can't even remember if it was in sports or news at that point, but I remember, I I mean, I guess I had sort of overwritten it, you know, it was too much. And I remember the editor saying to me, like, write how you talk, like just, just write how you talk. Um, And I've always remembered that, like, you don't have to overdo this. Like we're not, you know, just, just write it straight. And that I think has has helped me, and it is probably even more important now in the you know in the era of shorter and shorter stories. Like nobody's got much of an attention span, so you can't write five thousand words on everything, um, for better or worse. And I and I think um, being more direct and sort of getting to the point is probably more and more important as you try to capture people's attention in this incredibly competitive area um, so that was one and then the other bit of advice which you know at the time sort of bothered me but now I realize was like the best thing that could have happened was um, this was I was still in like community sports I was still in local you know prep sports and um, at the Miami Herald and they had an opening for the Miami Heat Beat which you know is a pro beat and I had not covered college sports at that point I certainly hadn't covered pro sports and um I did not apply for it. I did not talk to the bosses about it. And later on, after they had filled the job, like the, uh, one of the editors, one of the sports editors said, like, why didn't you throw your hat in the ring for that? And I was like, well, you know, I haven't done college sports. I mean, I, you know, I don't think I'm there. And he was like, well, like we just hired, you know, we just put somebody in that job. who's got the same level of experience as you, like it's on you. Like you, you need to sort of push yourself forward. Like if, if you don't, think you can do this? Who's going to think you can do it? And, you know, at the time, I was sort of, I was a little bit put off by that. But now I realize, you know, much later, I realized, like, that was very good advice, right? Like, you have to, if you're not your own advocate, nobody else is going to be your best advocate. So um, that, that was important. And I would imagine that that would be advice you would give to anybody now. Yeah, as well, oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, like there seems to be a phrase now that's in vogue, imposter syndrome, that like, you know, that you never feel like you really like, especially women, like, do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you're worthy of where you are? And I think that was probably a little bit of what I was feeling at that point, like, well, I'm not ready for this. Like, I can't compete on a pro beat. And, you know, and what that boss was basically telling me at the time was like, well, if you don't, You know, believe that you can do it like nobody else is going to believe in you like more than you should believe in you. So, yes, I would absolutely give that advice to women and men. I mean, you know, I, I, I sense it probably afflicts young women more, but I would give that advice to anybody now.
0: Is there a mistake that you see young women making trying to break into the sports industry? And maybe mistake isn't quite the right word, but are are you seeing a trend or a pattern that you would advise against? I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure this is exclusive to women, um, but I I think generally people want to skip over the what are considered like the sort of beginner jobs, the entry level jobs. You know, everybody wants to be on the air right everybody wants to be on the sideline everybody wants to be a columnist everybody wants to be a big feature writer everybody wants to be at a national outlet i'm not sure that's good like i feel like there's real merit in covering like high school football like you know and learning how to cover a beat when you're not in the glare of the spotlight like i think there's like i feel like there's a lot of people who don't want to cover beats anymore whether it's on tv or you know or print Like, everybody wants to skip ahead to being a feature writer and a columnist. And those jobs are great, but, like, you have no foundation. Like, you have to – I feel like it's really important to learn how to cover a beat and how to work a locker room and how to build relationships, you know, with the brain trust of organizations and sort of how organizations work. And, and like, I would just advise people, like, don't skip those steps. Like, I know they're not as glamorous, uh, you know, and in many cases they're not very well paid. But, mm-hmm. like, I think those steps are really important to develop as a as a journalist.
0: I agree. A number of our fangirls actually are currently covering high school football as well. Uh, and I, I think it's been really helpful for all of them. And I can see it even in their work with fangirl how how much it's helped them. Yeah. I think that is Yeah, very... I
1: think it just – it helps you – first of all, I think it just helps – it helps you learn – how journalism works. And look, it's like, it's obviously grimy, right? I mean, in a lot of cases, you're keeping your own staff, you know, you're standing on the sideline in the rain. Um, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I, I started back in the day before there was Wi-Fi everywhere. So like, you would have to find the, you know, janitor's shed where there was a phone line. I mean, it was, you know, it was just ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. but I think that's all good you know, I think that's good training. Um, and so I would just advise, like, don't get discouraged if you're not, you know, going to be a columnist at a big, you know, at a big place at a national publication, or you're not going to be on air right away, like, do the nitty gritty stuff, like, you know, if you're going to be at a local TV station, like, it's okay to, you know, be compiling highlights, you know, be yeah. a producer, and it's okay to do all of those jobs. That's how you learn. And it's better to get your foot in the door and learn how to do a job than it is to sort of aim too high, not get a job, get discouraged, or get into a job that you're not equipped to do. You know, that's, that's Mm -hmm. a problem.
0: That is a problem. Because it is one thing to be your own best advocate, but it is another thing to get into a job you're not equipped to, to do and then lose an opportunity. Which can set you back. That's right. And
1: fail. Right. And fail. And look, I mean, I do think that this is more a something that happens to women. Um, if, if you fail or if you, you know, if you make a big mistake, like people will attribute that to you being a woman, not just mm-hmm. that, well, you know, you're not prepared for the job or maybe you just had a bad day and screwed up. Um, but I mean, certainly, you know, if, if you make a mistake, like you will hear like, well, you shouldn't be covering football anyway, you know, like Mm -hmm. what are you doing covering football? You know, you don't know football, which is not something that is said to men when they screw up, it's said to women and that's just the way it is. So, I mean, I think, you know, that is a real, I'm all for people advocating for themselves, but like, I also think you need to know, like what you're prepared to do, what you're equipped for, like, do you have enough background to do this?
0: With the holiday rush here, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders, decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door. And delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers including USPS, FedEx, and UPS so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shopping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Looking for a great gift for someone in your life? Harry's is a gift that's both thoughtful and practical. Listeners on this show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to Harry's.com slash bluewire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. It's a great deal for you and for him. Holiday sets start at just $20. That's within secret Santa limits. And Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer for fans of the show, we partnered with Harry's to give you five dollars off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets. When you go to harrys.com/bluewire, plus you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, all packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Have you seen that change? Has it gotten any better, though, that if a woman makes a mistake, is it? It doesn't feel to me that it has, that if a woman makes a mistake, it becomes a much, much bigger deal than if a man does, but has it
1: gotten better than when you first started? Um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's hard to tell Twitter did not exist when I first started and that was a good thing. You know, it's, I, I mean, I think, you know, we all get sucked into social media and that's not good. So it's hard to tell, obviously in the sort of cauldron of Twitter, like every misstep is, you know, it's like a catastrophe. Um, And so it's hard for me to tell if it's gotten better. I mean, there is, still quite a bit of vitriol, um, you know, and, and of course you hear, you see it much more because of social media, it's really right in front of you. So um, I, I don't, I don't know if it's gotten better. There's still a subset of people who want to attribute anything to, you know, you're a woman, you shouldn't be covering sports. And and uh, obviously they're not saying that to men.
0: No, I I've, I've told this story on this podcast before, but someone at a bar once asked me what fangirl sports network is. And I, Talked about and explained, and I said some of our content uh, we do with a little bit more of a female-focused lens, a little bit more of the story behind the story, some of the lifestyle aspect of sports, you know, in addition to analysis and game coverage, et cetera. And he said, oh, you cover the 49ers, you must be happy Jimmy Garoppolo's on the team because now you guys can talk about him being cute.
1: And but I thought, there you wow,
0: go. That's, that's <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> believable. And I was like, it's 2018. How is this even an actual conversation? <laughs>
1: yes. But it
0: was also a really good reminder that in 2018, that's an actual conversation.
1: <laughs> and yes, and that's like, and that's just that's it's just there. Like, that's just it's still there, you know. Yep. And I like I would like to think that there are fewer people who are thinking that way, but it, there's still people who are thinking that way.
0: And this is someone who was probably in his early 30s, so it wasn't even like, you God, know, you know, so it was just it really was. That, that was the that was the end of that conversation, but um, right. it, it was a very eye opening just thing to remember, uh, and a reminder yeah. that we we do have to be more careful. But along those lines, I guess on the positive side of that. How have you seen opportunities grow for women in the sports industry, and what do you think can still be improved?
1: Well, there's just more of us. I mean, there's no question there's more of us. I was very lucky because at the Miami Herald, um, they they really uh, were quite ahead um, at that time. There were other women in the sports department when I was in the sports department. There were a lot of us, um, and that was tremendous. You know, so I was. Ne- I've never been like the only woman in the sports department, which I think is kind of unusual. Um, But I, you know, where can it be improved? I mean, obviously, more, and I think more women in top management roles Mm -hmm. helps in any industry, not exclusive to journalism. Um, But that's, that's certainly, you know, just more, you know, I mean, why not? You know, why, why aren't half, you know, somebody, I can't remember who gave me the number, but somebody said, like, you know, one third of like NFL employees or women. And I was like, well, is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Like there's there's a lot of, I mean, obviously we're not counting the players and coaches, but like, you know, why aren't there could be more than that? You know, I mean, that's better than it was in the past certainly, but there could be more. Absolutely. Could be more. And more. And I would emphasize not just more, I mean, more is, is better, but, uh, but like, you know, it's great to see more sports writers in the press box. Like that's tremendous. But, like, more also in decision-making positions, that's the real, that's important. You know, you know, people who are in positions of power, that's what you want to see. Right. I
0: think that, I think that does make sense because that's where the change mm-hmm. happens. And that's, right. you prove in th- that I'm just as capable as a man. And I think that is definitely where the change happens. So I, I agree with that. So when you made the move to NFL media, that was in 2013, is that right, or 2012? 13. 13. Okay. I was right the first time. Always go with your first gut instinct. I'm going to say that. there's <laughs> my stupid books from the day. Um, to the, from, what you, from what I read. Uh, was that kind of the dream job? Because now you were going to just be covering the sport that you love? And I know you were before, but yeah. was this the dream job a little bit?
1: Well, I had, way back, I had, the New York Times was the dream job, like, because I was in newspapers only, Um, and so, you know, the Times, to me, was, even though, you know, the New York Times is not best known for sports, like, that was still, that was the goal, Um, but then, you know, obviously, the business has changed dramatically, and um, the, you know, the NFL network had like would call me occasionally and see if I was interested. And, you know, over the co- course of how many years they would occasionally reach out and be like, oh, you know, we're going to do this. Any interest in talking about this job? And it was like, no that doesn't sound like the right role. And then, um, you know, this job sort of became available, which would be, you know, some on air work. Um, but still a lot of writing, you know, writing all kinds of stuff, columnists, but also just writing a lot. And I did not want to give up writing completely. You know, I did not want to go completely to the TV side. Um, And so this was the right, this was the right combination of things. Um, And, you know, that was at a time when the, the times was clearly, you know, contracting in the sports department fortunately they've you know things have steadied with the new york times which is fantastic for a number of reasons but mm-hmm. um you know i just sort of felt like you know would i be able to finish my career here like you know you start to look at this landscape of newspapers and you think like ooh, you know what's the future going to be like um and so i i went for this and i you know at that point i had started to do a little bit of tv i would appear occasionally on Sports Reporters, the old Sports Reporters show on ESPN, which I love to do. And um, and I liked it, you know, and um, it was clear that the opportunities would be more plentiful on the TV side. And so this was the right combination of jobs, and I went.
0: So you talked about how the business has changed. How have you seen the game change in the last 20 years?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, the attention to it, e- even in the last 20 years, has just gone it exploded it's absolutely gone crazy obviously the the explosion of like internet only websites has has lent itself to that it's just gone crazy the focus on it has gone crazy Um, probably there are probably times that people in the NFL were like why does you know why is the scrutiny so intense but I mean that's what happens when it's this incredibly popular it's obviously the number one sport in the country and you've got a ton of media covering it Um, So that's number one. You know, the focus on it is intense. Like we never wrote as much about officiating as we do now, for example, just one small example, right? Like now all of a sudden we're talking about officiating like all the time. Um, For better or worse. (laughs) For better or worse. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure the people in the officiating department are like, please pay less attention to us, but you know, but that's just like a small example of how interest in the NFL has exploded. feels like the, uh, every week the uh, the focus on the games the excitement around the games is bigger than it ever was i mean obviously the super bowl is bigger than it's ever been you know it's just bananas how many people are at the super bowl it's just everything is bigger you know everything is bigger and everything is magnified as a result of it being bigger everything is a bigger deal for better or worse you know good stuff is a bigger deal and mm-hmm. bad stuff is a bigger deal you know and that's there's no question that that's true that you you know when when bad stuff happens It is, you know, I mean, it's literally a a crossover onto like the nightly news. That's Mm -hmm. how big it becomes. And you're just sometimes I sit here and think like, I mean, this is, you know, the NFL, like really, is it that, you know, does it really deserve a spot on a 30 minute, you know, NBC nightly news? But yes, it does. You know, it's that big.
0: There are certain stories that even my friends, men and women, who don't like football, which is just something I can't understand at all because I love it so much. <laughs> but that aside, there are certain stories where I might just say something and I said, oh, I don't know if you've heard. And they'll say, well, of course I know that. Everyone right. knows right. that. And it is that surprise that, oh, yeah, okay, this did make it into mainstream media.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. There No question about it. Like even um, when the lockout was going on, so that was eight years ago, Um, and that was, you know, at the very, like Twitter was not as big as it is now. Like, you know, social media was not quite as big in sports as it is now, but the attention on the lockout, like it was like a crisis that they might miss the hall of fame game. And I remember, you know, I mean, I was covering it day in and day out that year, but like, I remember thinking like, really, like like is really is like, is America paralyzed by this? And, you know, as it turned out, like people were really, really interested in like, are they going to miss games or are they going to use replacement players? Um, and I just, I, you know, I, that was like sort of astonishing to me that I was like, it's, you know, at that time it was, you know, March, April, like we were way far away from the season starting and people were like hanging on every incremental development. <laughs> I just felt like, Holy cow, this is, Gigantic, you know, and that was eight years ago, and it's only gotten bigger, you know, and for better or worse, you know, I mean, obviously, there are stories that I'm sure the NFL wish had never happened that mm-hmm. get blown up into weeks long crises.
0: Mm-hmm. I can think of a few of those. I will, they can remain nameless, but I can think of a few yeah. of them right off yeah. Yeah. the top of my yeah. head. Well, along those lines, what have been some of your favorite stories that you've covered?
1: Wow. Well, I really enjoy just sort of. Stepping back and the big picture, um, like, I mean, I sort of marvel at how, like, that it's been almost 20 years now of the Patriots being on top of the game. Like, whether you like them or hate them, like, I sort of, I you know, I there are times when I'm at their games and I'm just like, this is incredible. Like, you know, literally, I've been going to Foxborough for 20 years. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and so, and I, and I think that's, like, I think generally dynasties are good for sports, like, because... First of all, I mean, obviously, if you're a Patriots fan, it's great for you, but everybody else hates the Patriots, right? Like, it's great. Everybody's aiming for the Patriots. So I think I think it sort of just galvanizes interest in the sport. It's um, so I think, you know, sort of stepping back like I've really enjoyed the, that I happen to be covering it, you know, and I've managed to cover it really from the very beginning. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that. And uh, what else have I you know, I mean, I just enjoy covering. Day in and day out. Like I said, like I I really still enjoy going to the games because I, my job, I'm lucky enough that I'm almost always at one of the best games of the week, which means like I don't see a lot of bad football, you know, like I don't have to sit through. It just so happens this week I'm going to the Jets-Giants game, so this will be different, <laughs> but like... <laughs> Um, but most of the time I'm at like the game of the week, which means like, you know, you're watching Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, you're mm-hmm. ridiculous athletes at the very top of their abilities. And, um, that's a treat, you know, that's a pleasure. And, and I certainly, I, I, you know, I try to appreciate that. Like I try to remember like, this is really awesome. You know, like Patrick Mahomes is really, really awesome to watch, you know,
0: Mm-hmm. He's incredible. He is so fun to watch this season. So yeah. many young dynamic yeah. quarterbacks that have just been so fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because only a few years ago, I think there was a lot of hand wringing about like, Ooh, what happened? You know, Brady's got 40 and Drew Brees is, got, you know, all of these guys are sort of getting up there. Peyton Manning was retiring and everybody was like, Oh, what happens when all of these superstar quarterbacks are gone? And it's like, well, okay, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, they, they're so, a good crop of young quarterbacks in the game right now it's they're they're pretty well set for another good decade or so
0: I would say so and I guess maybe the the thing we learn is that there's always a crop behind them
1: there's There's always always
0: a superstar in the wings
1: (laughs) yes yes I mean just when you're you know again like Brady gets to 40 and all of these guys you know Peyton is is retiring and you think like ooh, this is you know, who's gonna be must-see TV where, you know, they're they're on and you know you have to watch the game. And, you know, and then Patrick Mahomes comes along and it's like, well, okay, that's, you know, that's the next one.
0: hmm And he's, he's gonna be fun to watch for a very long time.
1: Yes, hopefully, yes.
0: Yes, hopefully, hopefully. Fingers crossed we will. I think Mina Kimes tweeted that every day she gets up, she has her coffee and says a little prayer that Patrick Mahomes stays healthy.
1: <laughs> <I think laughs> yeah, exactly. Week. And along the Watson, lines. like i feel the same right right like deshaun watson like lamar Jackson. the other night watching the game lamar jackson took a hit and i was like oh like don't hurt him. <laughs> like, you know, yes. oh, like, i feel so the same way watch, you know <laughs> please don't hit him too hard <laughs> so.
0: and we and deshaun watching we have another uh podcast on fangirl called fangirl playbook which is like our weekly sports podcast and every week i am just touting deshaun watson and my co-host laughs awesome. she's like here it comes here comes the Deshaun yeah. Watson portion of the pod. I'm like, I can't He's
1: help it. Awesome. He's so fun. He's amazing. He's so awesome. Yeah, there's a, they're they're in a very good spot right now with young quarterbacks. There's no question. They've got a lot, and and it's it's happening at the same time that there's you know the sort of more established veteran quarterbacks are still you know obviously Aaron Rodgers is still awesome. Russell Wilson is you know maybe the MVP, and like I mean, so you've still got all of that, but the next wave is you know, that's superstars is here.
0: Can you take us through, I would love to do a day in the life, but kind of a, a day perhaps during the week that you're going to be doing an on-air feature or you're, you're writing a feature and then a game day, because I just find, I think for our listeners, it's so interesting to see what people do. And I'm sure for you during the week, it, there's probably no normal day, but if you want to pick right. a day <laughs> that you met, because, and I know that's, for me as well. So I know there's no, like, normal, I go to the office at nine, et cetera. But I'd love to hear kind of maybe what your, I don't know if it's your favorite days, but but kind of a, a day that you would pick that you think would sound interesting. And then, of course, game day, because I always love hearing about, as to our listeners, what everyone's game days are like, because they vary so much depending on, on who we're talking to.
1: Right. Um, so, well, you're right. There's no normal day, even day of the week. Um, For instance, this Monday, I was, uh, we at the NFL Network does a show on Mondays, the aftermath, which is like a three hour review of the previous day's games, um, pretty in depth. And so I was one of the panelists on the aftermath this week, which meant that I was, you know, at a studio here in New York, you know, sitting in a chair for three hours. (laughs) Talking about football, um, you know, and, and so that whole day was built around that, right? Like I woke up and like went back and watched highlights and was reading stories and went through the stats from all the games and then, um, you know, was on a planning conference call for probably an hour earlier in the day and then, you know, went and got to the studio and got ready and then, you know, we did the three-hour show and then so that was that day. That whole day was built around that and then. Um, You know, but like today, I'm working on a feature story for down the road. And so I'm making phone calls and I'm doing research and I'm looking up old stories about this. And um, so that's my whole day. Like I work from home. I don't go to an office. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's my whole day. You know, I'm sitting here doing interviews and I set up some other interviews and I'm texting people that I need to talk to and, you know, digging into archives Uh, You know about the subject and so that will be today um and doing this podcast and um you know and then game day is um i'm most game days i am writing not on air i'm not i don't usually do both like only on news stories do i do both like will i do tv and then you know come back and write a column too um but most game days during the season i am Um, there to write a column. And so, you know, you usually travel on Saturday if it's far. Um, I usually go on Saturday and then uh, Sunday, I, depending on, you know, the rare one o'clock game, which is like a gift to have a Mm -hmm. one o'clock game if you're writing, um, you know, you get up and you go to the stadium really early because you got to beat the traffic there. (laughs) You got to make sure you're there. And um, you also want to watch, you know, in a lot of cases, you're trying to watch warm-ups, see who's healthy or not healthy. You're just trying to see little things um, that might be important later on. If you're down on the field, you you know, you say hi to people. You get to see people that you don't get to see all the time. Um, Check in with them. But, um, you know, I I mean, I get to the stadium at least three hours before kickoff and sometimes earlier. Um, And then, uh, you know, you watch the game obviously and um, I usually am watching the game and then also have the game on my computer Um, off that was a trick that um, before you could stream games on your computer that I learned you listen to the broadcast because uh, this is one of the one of the Jets beat writers taught me that trick when I first started the Jets and his point was um, you listen to that because that's what your editors are hearing Like the editors are watching it at home or in the office. And so they're hearing the call and whatever issues are raised on the broadcast is something the editor might ask you about. So, like, listen to what they're saying. It's important. Um, And so I, I have always done that. And it also just sort of helps clarify, like, you know, often we're way up in the press box and it's hard to see everything that's going on. And they can tell you like, you know, so-and-so is uh, headed for the locker room and maybe you didn't Mm -hmm. see that. So uh, I listen to the broadcast and then I go down and, you know, work the locker room for as long as you can. You know, I mean, um, time is so limited in the NFL, like access is so limited in the NFL in a way that it's really not like in baseball, for instance, that Mm -hmm. you want to use, you want to use as much time as you can. Uh, You know, now, obviously that's different if it's, You know, when you're at a newspaper and you're working against a deadline and you have to, you know, get back upstairs and write fast, obviously you have to get out of the locker room. But like, if you have the time, um, you know, you try to spend as much time as you can, even if it's even if you're talking to guys about stuff, you're not going to use that day. I mean, just to have face time with them and check in on stuff is important. Um, Then I go back to the press box and write. Sometimes I'll go if I'm staying out of town and the hotel is nearby, sometimes I'll go back to the hotel to write. But um, you know, usually I just write in the press box and I sit there and as long as it takes. You know, you try to, you you usually go downstairs, go down to the locker room with some idea of what you're going to write, and then sometimes you go down there and somebody will say something or something will happen that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually you go downstairs with some idea of how you're going to approach it. You know, at least mm-hmm. a broad outline of what you're going to say and. Um, for instance, you know, I was at like the Patriots-Browns game two weeks ago when the Browns were just a mess, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Patriots weren't defeated at that point, so you could write another column about, whoa, the Patriots, they're awesome. But really the story of that game was like, man, why are the wheels flying off the Browns, right? Like, what mm-hmm. the heck? Um And so that's what I ended up writing, you know, and that was uh, they were really good because that's when Baker Mayfield walked in there and sort of talking about, like, we lack discipline and accountability. And you're just like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. so, uh, you know, that's what the day is. And then you spend as long as you can writing or as long as you need writing and then your day is done and you go back and you watch maybe you watch Sunday Night Game or whatever. And I, I usually go back and then I'm usually online, like reading other people's stuff, like reading about what happened around the league. Because when you're in a stadium, it's hard to keep on top of everything that's happening around the league. And sort of my job means I should be on top of everything that happens around the league. So I spend a lot of time like reading stuff online to try to keep up.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. I I do the same because we have our podcast, but I cover the Niners, so Sunday is pretty Niners-focused, obviously, which right now is very exciting. But um, I do, you know, need and also want to know everything
1: that's going on. It's really like like this past Sunday um, because I was doing the show on Monday. This past Sunday, I did not go to a game. I stayed home and watched football all day long, literally from the 9.30 a.m. kickoff here on the East Coast that from the game in London all the way through. Um, and that's, like, you see so much more. It's so much easier to stay on top of it when it's all in front of you instead of when you're in a stadium focused on one game. And then you sort of have to go back and, like, hey, what happened in the Bengals whatever game? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Which, oof, whatever happened in the Bengals game, I right. can assure you, it yeah, wasn't good. Right. That was a bad <laughs>
1: That was a bad example no, but, you know, or i actually think a good example it. though <laughs> it's yeah, actually a I'm good sure example because it. It, yeah you still need to know <laughs> you, still- you still need to know i mean some teams let's be honest you need to know more about than others I, you know yes. like you probably should always know what's going on with the cowboys for example like you really right. need to be on top of that but yeah it's hard to, you know it's, look there are certainly teams that get more attention than others and the ones that you don't get a lot of attention, like those are the ones, like you really do have to stay on top of it because, you know, especially when you get towards the end of the season and teams start, you know, you're starting to look at like what teams are going to change coaches, like what, Mm -hmm. you know, quarterbacks are going to be cut. Like, you you know, you sort of have to know what's leading up to this. So, uh, you know, that I spend a lot of time during the week trying to, sort of stay on top of what's happening uh, around the league. And then what's happening in league news, you know, just stuff out of the league office. Like you're, yeah, there's so much going on and so much coverage of it. Like it takes a lot of time to consume all of it.
0: So before I let you go, we are, we have now come to my favorite part of the podcast and that is five fun facts. I love fun facts. It's kind of become my thing. I do it with the 49ers players. And so I've been kind of, Known for it, so I wanted to make it a part of Get My Job. And as listeners of this podcast know, everybody gets the same fun facts every week. And part of the fun, if you'll excuse me, saying that word now ten times in two sentences, (laughs) is that we get to hear it's the same question, but we get different answers every time. So um, if you are ready, I will just fire them off. I am ready. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports?
1: Wow. I was lucky enough to cover uh, the... Patriots Giants Super Bowl the Patriots were going for the undefeated season so that was the 2007 season and that Super Bowl was incredible the David Tyree catch against the helmet touchdown pass it was just uh it was stunning stunning and I had spent most of that season covering the Patriots because they were undefeated and I thought there's no way they lose this game Mm -hmm. and then you know one of the upsets for the ages that that's probably my favorite favorite moment
0: that's fair I don't think anybody could argue that one
1: and it's your favorite moment so no one literally no
0: one can argue that one but an incredible moment just for the shock value yeah just just for the shock that listen that wouldn't stop anybody on twitter from doing it but it's your favorite moment so
1: yeah
0: uh what would you say your life motto is
1: This question actually caused me some angst because I'm like, do I have a life, am I, I, maybe I'm not introspective enough to have a life motto, but (laughs) I think, um, I think like just get stuff done. Like sometimes you just have to plow ahead and just get stuff done, you know, in your personal life and in your professional life. Just keep moving.
0: Do you have a go-to workout?
1: Uh, I am uh, obsessed with my Peloton bike. I oh, love it so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like a member of my of the family. We've had it for almost four years and I am like completely obsessed with it. Go to coffee order or tea order. <sighs> well, uh, I uh, will have a venti dark roast as my first coffee of the day. And then as the day <laughs> progresses, like maybe a latte, sometimes a mocha. Um, and I love cold brew. That's my other, in the summer, big cold brew fan.
0: There is nothing better, in my opinion, than cold brew on a hot day. It is just.
1: Yeah, I love cold brew. Unfortunately, it's now too cold in New York to walk around with the cold brew. But yes, love it. I have it at home. Like, I drink it at home in the morning. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And last but not least, a book every woman should read.
1: Well, I just finished this. I would say men should read it, too. Um, She Said, which is the book by the two New York Times reporters, um, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, who won the Pulitzer Prize for their stories about Harvey Weinstein um, that launched Mm. Me Too, the Me Too movement. And the book is incredible, not just because they did additional reporting and went back and talked to so many of their sources. It's also really um, a great book on how to do good journalism. I mean, it's really like for journalism nerds, um, it's it's sort of like reading like all the president's men in that not only was it just sort of this great story about how a scandal um, came to light, but like just how the reporters did their work. And there's a lot of that in She Said too, like how the reporters and editors went about getting these stories. And it's just fascinating and the diligence it took. and. Um, And then from the women that they talk to, the importance of speaking up, you know, and and knowing that there are other people like you, you know, speak up. Mm hmm.
0: Oh, fantastic. I'll have to read that. That is on my list. So now I will put it
1: to the top. It's also a really fast. It's a fast read, too, because it is really compelling. So, yeah, I I highly, highly recommend it.
0: All right. Well, fangirls, let's put that one at the top of our list. Uh, And I will be putting on the top of mine and I will follow up with you, Judy, and let you know what I think. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a wonderful conversation and
1: a great podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So good luck with your feature story and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Of course.